Hey, Liel, how are you feeling about the fact that our live show at the JCC got canceled because of snow? I am f- <clears throat> Yeah, Liel is definitely going to be swearing this week, so you might want to send the kids out of the room. This has been a very sincere and necessary obscenity warning. Hello, Jews. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by senior writer Liel Leibowitz. Happy snow day to you. Happy snow day to you and deputy editor Stephanie Button. Happy snow day to everyone in the Northeast region (laughs) and no one else. We were supposed to be at the JCC of Manhattan. Wait, we're not there right now? We're not there. We are at Josh Cross's apartment uh, where we are looking at, it's on the seventh floor of a beautiful building in Harlem. We're looking at the snowflake falling outside. We are being served bagels and uh, lox and whitefish and coffee. There are 380 children. There's a lot of children here. Around. That's pretty much why I'm here to hang out with, with 360 the 360 are marks. <laughs> Josh's son made me matcha earlier. Like, this is the best day of my life. I mean, obviously, we'd love to have done the, the, the live show, and we're sad, and we had people come in from out of town for it, and we feel really, really bad about it. Yeah. Um, but I think we are making the most of... We're getting lemonade. What's the lemonade is being made of the lemons? Yeah. Well, matcha tea is being made. Yeah, that's true. That is the difference, by the way, from like New York City. Like in New York City, the thirteen-year-olds make matcha. In New Haven, there is not a there is not a thirteen-year-old in New Haven who knows what matcha is. And here, they are like barista level. Yeah. You know, on mornings like this, New York is almost tolerable. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's snowy. There are lovely kids running around making exotic Asian drinks. So I have, I have to say, like, shouts there. to producer Josh Cross, though, because the show got canceled, and within, like, a half an hour, we had a plan that basically is to come here the morning of the snow day, record at his kitchen table, disrupt his mm-hmm. entire family's life, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I, we're all really appreciative. And you got bagels on the way. I brought bagels, yes. You brought bagels. I stopped and at Absolute Bagels on 110. The world's best. And had so, to go back for cash because they only take cash. They do. So, That's right. Yeah. I've been Worth burned it. that way. I've, been, I've gotten to the front of that line to find out that they only take cash. So we have three cross children here, two uh, Leibowitz Sandel children. Leibovai. Leibovai. One Oppenheimer child. <laughs> it's amazing it's, what's going on it's here. It's weird that like cats weren't invited here. I feel a little bit targeted. A little othered. I'm jealous of like the fun playing that's going on in the other room. Do you hear the sound of children just like laughing? <laughs> And, and at one point playing a recorder. Yeah, this is going to be a, a sonically interesting show for our listeners. Our Gentile of the Week, by the way, uh, is Bart Campolo, former evangelical preacher turned humanist chaplain. Um, Jew of the Week at the JCC was going to be Joe Lieberman, but when snow messed with our plans, it also messed with Lieberman's plans. And so we will... Um, try to say Senator Lieberman is home praying fervently to God to <laughs> halt the storm. <laughs> And the funny thing is, Bart Campolo is here for the show, so we actually have him indefinitely. Because yeah. <laughs> he snowed in, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, we'll be recording with him until his plane takes off in 16 days. He may be the fourth host of, of, of Unorthodox, actually, by the time this is over. Um, you think, by the way, that if Joe Lieberman raises his, both of his arms, the snow continues, <laughs> and if he puts them down, the snow stops. <laughs> We had so many fun questions we were going to ask him tonight at the live we'll show. We'll have him back at a later date. Yes, a, we will. At a later date. But the thing is, when you have Bart Campolo, you don't need Joe Lieberman in all sorts of ways. Like, in, in a sense, we lost our orthodox guy and we got our unorthodox guy. And <laughs> so we will... So this week we're going really unorthodox. We're going really unorthodox. Full um, blown. However, that said, um, religion is always with us. Uh, there's a holiday coming up, I've heard. I've heard it's called Passover. Leo, what are we doing for Passover? Well, a different way of asking this question is, uh, how is this Seder different, <laughs> different from than all, all other Seders? Yeah. Because this year, ar- around the Seder table, all of us, all of and, us. and all of you out there will be enjoying 
The Unorthodox Haggadah. The Unorthodox Haggadah, which went to print this morning. And by print, I mean went to the designer who would put it in a beautiful PDF form, Mm -hmm. uh, which will be delivered Tuesday, the 27th. I I don't keep uh, time anymore. At 10 a.m. Uh, to to for, homes. And what will it all, cost people who want to use it? It would cost people goodwill, mm-hmm. a smile, mm-hmm. a bit of gratitude, mm-hmm. and nothing else. And so, if they can no download, shekels. no shock, if they know how to download a PDF, yeah, you know what they say: if you PDF it. It will, it will come. <laughs> it will be. It, will, it is no dream. I think the exciting. I mean, look, we've we've heard from people who are like, "I'm interested. I need to know a little bit more before I commit to this being my Haggadah." So well, then, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. just give them a little bit. I mean, this is our best. Like, uh, what's HSN, like Home Shopping Network thing? <laughs> okay. Dial now, <laughs> and we'll throw in some maror. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So what is this Haggadah? This Haggadah. First of all, it's 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 it keeps pretty much everything that matters from a typical. It's Haggadah. very. Inti- let's say Liel really spearheaded this project yeah, and like I didn't even believe it was going to happen because he's like let's make a Haggadah in two so, weeks so this Haggadah is really for everyone but but here is who I think will enjoy it if you're the kind of person who really doesn't want to be bothered and you want the two minute version app this is not the Haggadah for you right there is like a 30 second or three minute Haggadah you can download right. online it's not that Haggadah it's not that no, Haggadah no 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 if you are not un but Orthodox and every every single word and and you know sermon and ceremony and ritual uh, matters and you look forward to the seven and a half hour right. gathering uh, in which you tell stories from your favorite you know Gemara. That's also not the Haggadah. For you. I had a conversation a few years ago with my friend Nathan Jeanette, whose whose family uh, are listeners to this show, um, and I remember he had been at some seder where they'd gone to like they hadn't even eaten till eleven thirty at night or something. He was <laughs> and Nathan's like he's a hardcore guy in all sorts of ways. He's a beautiful soul, but a hardcore guy in ways that I'm not. And he was so proud. He was like, we didn't even eat till eleven thirty. We didn't even we do the, the Avi Komen was not found till three in the morning. And it was like <laughs> this was the essence of 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 seder for him. We did not have leavened bread for seven months. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's not that Haggadah. If we you, actually <laughs> built a pyramid in the backyard. This is how hardcore Egypt we are. <laughs> like if you want to not be eating till two in the morning, it's, it's not, not that this Haggadah. Is, but but, but it's in the middle somewhere. You, if you would like a a serious, respectful Haggadah that keeps, say, ninety percent of of the original text in Hebrew, English, and transliterated Hebrew, uh, that features contributions from some of your favorite podcast hosts and guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more about that in a minute. Yep. That has uh, good little questions that you could ask your get your family members and your friends uh, sitting around the table. Yep. Uh, this is, and that also has a lot of fun. It does. Like, I mean, I just want to highlight the part where you where you sort of say, okay, we know what the ten plagues in ancient Egypt were. If there were ten plagues today, what would they be? You who know, did we ask this question of, Stephanie? Who else but Simon Dunan, former Dunan. guest, yes. and Jonathan Adler, who are just like this amazing pair, and they they're. We're not going to say what they are, but they are very spot on. Can I say one? Yeah. I want to give you a taste of one of them is those Mylar birthday balloons. <laughs> like, and it's yeah, true. I was like, yeah, that's totally true. That is a contemporary I did. Play. I love them, but, but they're now they're everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, we, for example, asked the writer and former great guest Daphne Merkin uh, to contribute an essay on the Seder as therapy. Uh, which is completely, you know, smack in her in her circle of, of interest, uh, which was lovely. We got Tova Mervis to uh, write about the Wicked Child. We have four daughters mm-hmm. uh, riffing on the four sons, mm-hmm. including this year, Stephanie Butnick. Mm-hmm. I am um, the simple child. And it's a kind of Haggadah that if you want to gather around a table with your family and friends, 
assume that everyone has different levels of knowledge. Everyone has different levels of comfort with the text and the ritual. Everyone comes from their own, you know, background. But you want to have an evening that is meaningful, that is fun, that is unorthodox, that feels like your favorite podcast. This is the Haggadah for you. Mark, again, how much does it cost? I think it costs uh, all of nothing, plus 15% tax. Zero shekels. Yeah, it's 1.15. And I mean, the funny thing is, it's, it's a PDF. So basically, you can sign up. You, the way we're gonna, you're going to get it is you sign up, you give us your email, and we'll send it to you. You also might be subscribed to our newsletter, just because we assume that you would like that. But you can actually put the emails in of everyone who's coming to your Seder and get it emailed to them. Like, to yep. me, that is like first-class service. in advance, and then you could read it on your phone, look, on your you tablet. you can read it you on your phone. Print if, it out. Print it. Everyone's on their phone anyway. We may as well just actually like use them for for good. Mm-hmm. It is up to you how you consume or this printed. beautiful thing. Uh, it will also be and it's beautifully be- the design. The design is extraordinary, and I think there are a lot of like I like the Maxwell House Sagata, for example, but it's not a beautiful document. And mm-hmm. and this is going to be like we really went um, a real beaut. It's 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 a classy. It's it's a class act. I would say since the tablets. <laughs> There probably hasn't been that much attention, you know, into designing a uh, Jewish right. text. So that's what's going on in Liel's life is he really has has spearheaded this. He's quarterbacked it. I'm looking for another cliche. Uh, he's worn this hat. He's run with it. <laughs> Stephanie, what's been going he's on? He's taking it to the next level. He's the next level. He's been going 25-8. There's an amazing, uh, there's an amazing article in McSweeney's in which just this, this writer just basically said, I'm going to close this deal based solely on things that I heard guys at business people at airports shouting into their cell phones. It's like, Steve, this is in our wheelhouse, man. <laughs> I like to wear so this. Great. I like to take off one hat and put on my other hat. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with you, Stephanie? I don't I don't got that much going no. on, to be honest. The snow day is like it's everything's just different, but except for, for my cat. Everything is exactly the same for him. He's just like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right, I don't want to be here with you. How, how's this morning different than all of them? <laughs> than all of their mornings. Why are you here? Um, I have two bits of Oppenheimeriana. Are you, is um, it going to, like, I, I need, I feel like I need a trigger warning for how much news you're about to drop <laughs> right it's, now. It's, it's, well, one is very simple, which is for, since I last saw you, I had not shaved. I've had six or seven days of growth going. And my kids' level of hostility is so great. At one point, I mean, they basically, it was Lysistrata. They got together and said, there will be no hugs. There will be no physical affection until you shave. And we hate you. It was like, we hate you and won't touch you till you shave. P.S. We hate you. Right. I mean, it's, and Sid supports this all because she thinks I look, well, my beard is fairly white, so she thinks it ages me. Um, and well, I just thought- beard is white. Interesting. The, the goatee part. I mean, the little goatee part is white. Yeah, like Liel. Yeah, I, I, think, oh, yeah. I think we could, I think this is a good like division of labor between us. You're the youthful, fine-haired one. <laughs> And I'm the somber, rabbinic, heavy set bearded. Right. So I shaved yesterday. That was that, but that was like a surprise. The, Did that you was use a, sur- a Harry's razor? I am of the course. first to be targeted in the program. You're the second to be targeted in the program. <laughs> but that was a surprising amount of the psychic energy. It was a surprising amount of the vibe at 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 Oppenheim. At Oppenheim They're like, North. and you're bringing us another one of you <laughs> with your beards. I mean, that's always in the background these days. Uh, is the hostility around that around Oppenheimer? Um, but the other, the hilarious thing around Oppenheimer. Is I discovered, as I've never discovered before, although Liel might have learned this uh, with Hudson, is that when you tell people you're having a son, everyone has a favorite moil to recommend. People are really loyal to their moils. Moil loyal. There's mo- they're moil loyal. And there's, so there's a moyalty card. <laughs> um, and so it, I mean, I kid you not, half a dozen people have said to me, Oh, oh, a son? I have do I have a moil for you? 
And I mean, one guy, so one friend of mine from, from uh, the listenership, but saw someone I'm friendly with who I didn't know was a Moyle, sent me his, sent me his, his rates basically. And his headshot. And his headshot. <laughs> like, you know, his, his YouTube reel. Well, headshot from Moyle means something completely his different. God. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm really oh sorry. God. He sent me his, Guys, his sizzle reel. As actors say, his sizzle reel. But I mean, it is so funny to me that people, it's like they're, you know, the way everyone wants you to use their auto mechanic. They want me to use their Moyle. This I is think, a great I think there's moment. nothing more Jewish than like wanting everyone to use the guy you use. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was right. Like I got a guy. I got a guy. It's a great moment to say, Doctor Dorothy. What's her name? Lisa? Oh yeah, Green. Doctor Dorothy Greenbaum. She was your Mohella. She was oh, amazing. She's, she's a doctor. I mean, she really a doctor, a moil, and a grandma. And, and a like grandma. no jokes. No. Very oh. si- like <laughs> yeah. no shtick. Yeah, no. like I don't like I don't like wedding rabbi or moil with shtick. That's right. No, no sticky moils. No. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> a whole other thing. All right, let's um, let's get to the news of the Jews. Before, of, of other Jews. Before we get to the good stuff, uh, which is all American this week, um, and, and it's good. The news of the Jews this week is outstanding. I want to just click through two Israel stories because they're both important to Israel. The first is that Spotify is coming to Israel. Correct. Liel, is this, is this important in, in any way? Not not even a little bit. Okay, never mind. It'll but, be, you know... Five million people listening to Shlomo Artsy. There we go. A nonstop repeat. I'm but surprised Spotify is not one of those things that started in Israel. In Israel like like every ways. single other app in the entire universe. Right. Well, they're getting it now. The other Israel story is that Elon Musk is there. And apparently he like took a selfie at Masada or something. Yeah, that requisite Masada selfie. He's like, here, from here is where we'll blast our next rocket. Yeah, I have to say, when Elon Musk travels places, I get a little worried. I was like, why are you here and what do you want to do and to my country? why are you going to this hilltop thing? Because you're not just there like, oh, beautiful, historical. It'd be like, yeah, from here, we could probably- He's like, it's flat at the top of Masada. We could do the launch. Like, dude, no. Um, okay, moving eastwards across the globe for News of the Jews, we, we land in Scotland. Some of you might remember that story of the Scottish guy who trained his girlfriend's dog. It was his girlfriend's dog, right? His his whole thing was, we talked about it when it happened. He His girlfriend was always saying how cute her dog was. It's like this little pug. And he's like, <laughs> you know what's not cute? A dog giving a Nazi salute. So he trained the dog to give a Nazi salute. Yeah. He he would say like, Heil Hitler, and he would do it. And then he would also say, gas the Jews, and he would do it. So it's like, <laughs> Why did you have to say gas the Jews? No, because that's the next level. It's not just like the dog is a real Nazi. It's not just he responds to the Fuhrer. He responds to like Just basic. any, and he's like. That's right. But as far as we know, this guy is not himself an anti-Semite. He's just someone with a very unfortunate sense but of humor, right? he was just like charged with a hate crime. And so that's the news. The news of the Jews is that this week he was he was found guilty of a hate crime. Whom has he perpetrated a crime against? I, I'm sorry. I, the I, Jewish I, people. I, I, I'm on this guy's side. And Frank. I frankly think you should be able to trade your domestic pets to do to, to, to respond to any calls you want. It is not a, a matter for the state if your dog Mark, is Mark, a Nazi. Mark, it begins with a dog giving a Nazi salute. Next thing you know, the dog is like rallying people up to the trains. And then and then the dog sits, you know, in a glass cage in Jerusalem being like, I was only following orders. Like literally. Okay. Sis, stay, few, exterminate. Like, a few important details. Dog. The dog is named Buddha. Buddha. It's a which pug. Which I feel like is just like, you, you're making, your, your dog's named Buddha and you're making it give Nazi salutes. Like mixed messages left and right. Well, this the guy hates is, his girlfriend. This is clearly. I mean, I want to know if you, the girlfriend, are still together. And so, basically, if that yeah. your cat to, respond, to give Sig Heil, so what would that do to your marriage? I mean, 
that would that would just be tro- like trolling on another level. In like, his defense, uh, the dog said, "Well, my name is Buddha, and the swastika is an ancient Buddhist ancient symbol." Ancient Aryan so symbol. Just, right? I'm just trying really? to take it back. <laughs> okay, moving farther east to the peak news of the Jews this week. Some of many of you know this story already. This is zipped around Facebook. Um, okay, a DC lawmaker named Trayon White Sr. had to apologize for comments he made in a Facebook video about how the Jews control the Washington, D.C. weather. Okay, I'm just going to quote from what he said. He said, man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this morning, man. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, this climate manipulation. And D.C. keeps talking about we are a resilient city. And that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate to create natural disasters they can pay for to own the cities, man. Be careful. Okay, so it's, it's not a highly, it's not a well thought out thought, but the nub of it seems to be that uh, the Rothschild banking family worldwide conspiracy is controlling the AKA weather. AKA the Jews. So th- to create natural disasters, to make the cities fall into their financial grasping claws or something. <laughs> this may be the craziest story I've ever heard. So the funny thing was he apologized really sincerely. I mean, his, his apology was the right kind of apology. He said, look, I've talked to a lot of friends about this. I've done some self-education. I've learned. I didn't think of the Rothschilds as being an anti-Semitic dog whistle. And you know what? I, that could be plausible, right? Like who knows what this guy I'm knows. Sorry. So, so but, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but, but it's like, okay, so he's down. He's cool with the Jews. Like, fine, you've apologized and I'm all about forgiveness. And I don't think people should have to resign and lose jobs or whatever. DC still has a city councilor who thinks that Humans can control the, the weather. Exactly right. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't the Jews. It was this random family who it controls the, the weather. It was the Unitarians. Oh, they control Lord. the weather. To be honest, if you wanted proof that we don't control the weather, our freaking live show was canceled. So, like, we obviously don't, unless it's a very clever ploy to make it appear as though we don't control the weather. And the Senator Joe Lieberman was like, I do not wish to do this. <laughs> Time for some pod biz. Unpacking the book, the series I host with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum is starting back up this month. On March 28th, I will be at the Jewish Museum in conversation with authors Jordan Salama and Elizabeth Graver about Mizrahi and Sephardic diaspora journeys. Then in April, also at the Jewish Museum, I'll be talking with Rabbi Diana Fursco and author Maurice Samuels about what their new books tell us about the continued rise of anti-Semitism from Dreyfus to today. In May, we're heading to Zoom for a virtual conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about their new books. You can find all of that info and more at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. Our second Beautifully Jewish Craft Along is underway. To join our growing community, head to tabletm.ag slash beautiful. I also wanted to share this delightful review on Apple Podcasts. For this non-American goy, Unorthodox is a weekly compulsion. Three very different characters deliver no-holds-barred perspectives from the Jewish part of people's identities. Well, in Liel's case, Jewish slash American slash Israeli slash his own universe. All are welcome and all can contribute. Why only four stars? Sometimes I can't keep up with the spoken delivery speeds. A problem when you've become a global phenomenon, as you have. Well, non-American goy, we love you, even if we talk too fast for you. The rest of you, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And you know Joshua Molina will be reading it, so make it a good one. Okay, back to the show.
Our Gentile of the Week is Bart Campolo, who after more than 30 years of Christian ministry became a humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati, which I think is a, a sort of a, a bridge version of your story, I imagine. And he now works with people who are who are looking to so. pursue pursue goodness in an openly secular way. Welcome, Bart. Well, Welcome, thank you. Bart. Thank you all. Welcome to the Upper Upper West Side. I'm so happy to be with you on your snow day. So we brought you here saying you're going to do a live show at the JCC in front of a couple hundred people, and instead you're having bagels in Josh's I know, apartment and in with Harlem. with Joe Lieberman, who I was so <laughs> excited to meet, being old enough to remember Joe Lieberman. And here we are. Alas. <laughs> we lied. We don't just control the weather. Yeah. We just lie to people. It's just... I do want to point out that when it started snowing and your JCC show got canceled, Mark wrote me a, a text and said, I apologize for what's happening here. <laughs> oh my God, you did it. I outed us. It's like a false flag, I'm just right? Saying. I outed us. I'm sorry. So you have an amazing story um, that I completely, I imagine, butchered in your introduction. But tell us, like, what's, give us your, like, the shortened version of what, what, tell what us your what life happened. Yeah, like, what's your deal? What happened to you? What happened? What happened? How this did you friend, get that's here? My, that's what my father says all the time. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Um, because I, I did. I, I grew up my, it, it's funny, your listeners won't know my last name, but if a bunch of evangelical Christians anywhere in this country, my dad is a like evangelical Christian like royalty. Yes. Like he's a big deal. Wow. Um, when Clinton was in office and got in trouble with Monica Lewinsky and he had like pastors coming to the White House weekly to pray with him and to work with him. My dad was one of those guys. Wow. Like he was a, you know, he's the guy who speaks to 10,000 people in a stadium somewhere. Um, and so I grew up in that world, but I, I myself was never, didn't, grew up not believing in God. So it wasn't like I was a rebellious kid or hated my parents. I thought they believed in God. I thought they were sincere. It was just that it, the story never made sense to me until I was in high school. And when I was in high school, I got swept up by a friend of mine and brought along to an evangelical Christian youth group, like at a mega church. And like, evangelicals do youth groups so well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, it's not like BBYO. No, they no, really, no. They got it it's, down. They've got thing. youth group down. This was 300 kids, a rock and roll band, a laser light show, like, you know, like world-class gaming and all sorts of stuff going on. And I walked into that youth group and the weird thing about it was, it was the most loving a group of kids other than the ones you have in the other room. Um, <laughs> it was just the most warm and loving group of young people I had ever been around. And it was like non-bullying teenagers. Yeah. And the thing is like, I was a nice kid. I, I was, a, I was a genuinely nice kid kind of trying to make things better, like intervening in when people were getting bullied, like, like in some, you know, public service announcement ad, like I was that guy. And so I walk into this group. And there's and 300 like, like you and you're all there. It seemed like a club for nice people I wanted to join. I just like I just wanted to be a part of it, and I and, and when I figured out that they were all evangelical Christians, I still didn't believe in God, but I knew how to fake it because I had grown up in that world. And were you like, a, do they know your last name? And they're like, oh man, Bart. What's we interesting Bart. is evangelical Christianity is 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 segmented, and so the church that I got taken along to was a church that didn't think my dad was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was a little too liberal for them, a little oh, wow. too social justice oriented. They were more Bible thumpers, wow. and so. Um, but I got in to this group and I just went along for a while. And then one day we were up on a retreat. Um, and if you think we do youth group well, you should be on an evangelical Christian oh retreat. God. And so it's Saturday night. There's light, candlelight, 300 kids swaying, going, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. And I felt something. I had a kind of a transcendent experience, you know? 
Uh, like, like, and, and it's funny because I, I hang around with a lot of those, well, I don't hang around them, but I know a lot of those hardcore angry atheist types. And they'll always be like, you must be so embarrassed that you, <laughs> that you pretended that you heard the voice of God. You must be so embarrassed that you said that you, you felt the Holy Spirit in your, and I was like, listen, I, I don't believe in God. I'm, I, there's not a supernatural bone in my body left. But I'm telling you, on that retreat, something happened. I felt something. I had a transcendent moment. And, and I always say to my atheist friends, if you don't believe in transcendent moments, you haven't been to the right rock concert. Mm-hmm. You haven't had sex with the right partner. Right, you've, you've never been in love. You've never- You've never used the right drugs. Cuddled a puppy, right? Yeah, you've like, never done shrooms. Like yeah. these things are scientifically verifiable. Like you have these kind of moments where you feel connected to something bigger than yourself, where you feel like you're part of something that's going on. And my, in my experience, whatever narrative you're in, when you have that experience, it confirms that narrative. And so I think if I would have been in a mosque in Afghanistan, I would have thought like, Allah is real. You know, I think if I would have been in Sedona, I would have gone like, nature, man, it's amazing, the crystals. <laughs> like, but I was on an evangelical Christian retreat. And for me, that was God, that was Jesus. And so then I was really in. And, for the, and, and, and I won't tell you the whole story. By the way, how proud was dad? Oh my gosh. You come back Sunday afternoon and be like, dad, I... We need to have a talk. It's, it's funny. We, <laughs> I'm uh, coming out as an evangelical Christian. <laughs> a filmmaker just made a documentary about me and my dad called um, Leaving My Father's Faith. And it's kind of the story, the whole story of the arc of faith. And then how he, and he and I are having a conversation through the whole thing. And he talks about what it was like for him when I came home from receiving Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And he was like, it was so exciting for him. It was like, I, like, it was like I was in the tribe. Like if you're Jewish, you're born into the tribe. If you're evangelical Christian, you get, you, you believe into the tribe. And I believed into it. Did he like pour you a scotch, give you the car keys? Was there any sort of <laughs> no, but, reward but, for this? Take you to this hooker he knew. He's like, you're, you're a man now, son. Stop. Um, no, no. But what happened was, is that for him, and the next 30 years, like I, I got serious about this stuff. I mean, I was that guy who carried the Bible to high school and hoped you would persecute me. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the first thing anybody asked me to do for Jesus was to run a summer camp in Camden, New Jersey. And, uh, and I saw urban poverty for the first time. You know, you're a new, you're a nice kid. You, you believe in God. You're there on a mission for Jesus and you see this poverty. And that was it for me. I spent the next 30 years as an inner city missionary working with poor people. And, and, and again, like to keep the story really short, over the course of that time, like I'm working in ghettos with really poor people trying to do stuff. My, 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 my commitment to loving relationships and community building and social justice and building, you know, and reaching out to people that are in need, that just grew and grew and grew. And my ability to believe in a supernatural God who actually does anything died the death of a thousand cuts the thousand unanswered prayers i mean i was asking god to do really basic stuff like stop that little girl from getting raped by her uncle every week you know help this lady with five kids not die of cancer and the lady would die and the girl would keep getting abused and so over time you know sort of the supernatural my ability to believe in a god who does anything died slowly but I was, you know, I kept changing my theology all the way through because I wanted to stay in because I love that community. So, so for instance, that summer in Camden, I decided that I had thought that God was sovereign in the sense of like, he would get you a parking place if you needed one. He could, <laughs> he, while Jews couldn't change that's the weather. That's while the Jews, side, God. <laughs> right. While Jews couldn't change the weather, God actually could. So you would pray for good weather for your cousin's wedding, right? 
But that summer I realized that like, if God was actually in control of everything that was happening, he was an awful, awful person. And so I decided that God was only able to work in the world through those people who surrendered their will to him. And that's what it meant to be a Christian was to surrender your will and allow God to use you to do his work in the world. And so like, I dial, you know, you change your theology. Same thing when I went to college and I had gay roommates. Like I knew what, I, I was, this was the 80s, evangelical Christian. I knew what we thought about gay people. I knew what the Bible thought. I knew what God thought about gay people. But like you're there and you know these guys and they become your friends. And so all of a sudden, like, I changed my theology again. Those verses were not the right ones. Like the Bible was wrong about that particular subject. And so all the way through, I kept, instead of getting angry at God, I kept changing God to be a God I could like. I mean, the last God I believed in before I gave it all up was the most awesome and wonderful God you could imagine. You would have loved that God. He was just like me. <laughs> That's my God, actually. I, I know that dude. Yes, exactly. He is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agrees with everything. He's, I, like, he's like pro-gay. Yes. He's a Democrat. He loves your kids. He loves my kids. He's yeah. infinitely patient with my kids. He's the uh, right. God of Netflix and chill. Totally. Yeah. He's into dogs, but cats, eh, you know, he's <laughs> right. my God. Uh, not, yeah, God, God, God hates cats, That's <laughs> for sure. And, but the difficulty is when you're, when you're a Jew, that's a big joke. Like you can laugh about that because you don't need to believe right. in God in order to stay in the tribe. When you're an evangelical Christian, it's devastating. So was there anyone you could tell this to when it was going on or are you just having this like internal intense battle? No, that, I mean, that's the funny thing about me is by this time, I'm a public Christian. Like I'm a guy who preaches sermons in places. The, and the weird thing about me was, and this is my, my, my parents raised me in a way to believe that it was okay to be whatever I was. Like, I mean, it's funny. My dad grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in West Philadelphia. And he always used to say like that, that the difference between his mother and the Jewish mothers is when they would leave the house in the morning, his mother would say, Tony, do you have your lunch? And the other kids' mothers would say, you know, Joey, do you have your books? Um, <laughs> but, but he, he, because well, she knew they had their lunch. Right, exactly. <laughs> but he, incor he, he, he in, in, incorporated or in, it sort of was inculcated in this idea of like, if I came home having failed a test, he would say, well, I don't know what's wrong with those teachers at the school. They don't know how to teach a genius. Like the idea was like, there was nothing wrong with me. I was fine all the way through. And so when I, even as an older person, when I started going through these changes, it never occurred to me not to say them out loud. And so, you know, kind of publicly in my Christian career, I passed through every stage of heresy on my way to apostasy. And by, you know, and so when I finally came out, when I finally, I had a bike crash and almost died and had a head injury. And when I was okay, I said to my wife, like, look, I, this life is short. I'm going to die. When I die, I won't exist anymore. I, I think this is all we get. And she said, I think you're right. And I think you better stop being a professional Christian. Because um, you don't believe any of it anymore. Could you stop right there for a second and talk about like marriages are are tricky things that way, right? And you pretty much for it to work, it's helpful if you're walking along a path together. Did you know that she'd been having doubts? Had you guys been in lockstep? Well, that, yeah, and and you know, yes. And in answer to Stephanie's question, we say like, could you talk to anybody? I talked to my wife, but I also talked from pulpits. Like when I became a universalist who believed God saved everybody, I preached that and I got thrown out of half the churches I spoke at. When I started doing gay weddings, everyone knew that. And like, I got thrown out of another set of churches. And so by the time I finally came, when I had that bike accident, when I finally came out, my wife says, look, we know where you are, but like, you got to stop. Like you're preaching in this narrow intersection between you and the community, like the stuff you agree on, like we should love poor people. She's like, you got to, you got to be done with this, this, this group altogether. 
when I finally told people, hey, I don't believe in God anymore, the reaction among all my closest friends were, yeah, we knew that. We want, like, it was like coming out gay. <laughs> yeah, They're yeah. like, we knew. We wondered when you'd figure <laughs> right. it out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, people often say like, how many people did you lose? Did you lose all your friends and family? Because I know a lot of people, Mark, who've even lost their marriages. Of course. Because they didn't tell their wife or their husband what was going on. And finally, they come to this place where like, I don't believe any of it. And their spouse is like, I will still believe all of it. And it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a huge culture clash for the family. And if they have kids, it's devastating. Like, what do we teach the kids? Because if you don't believe in evangelical Christianity, to teach your kids that they are originally sinful, that they are utterly depraved and deserving of hellfire outside of the, the grace of Jesus Christ, that's child abuse, right? But if you are an evangelical Christian and there is a God, then that's just salvation teaching like you're you're immunizing your kids against the worst thing that could happen to them which is to burn in hell forever now at any point did your father or anyone else say okay look you worked it out it took a long time uh you got awesome god you got to awesome god the god that you loved why don't you why don't you take a while there there may be some more changes you may fall back in love it's just a step in your relationship you know maybe you and god go in a nice weekend in paris spend some time together yeah. i remember my dad saying to me look why can't you just be one of those John Shelby Spong, ultra liberal progressive Christians? They don't believe in God either, <laughs> but they use the language. And, and I, you know, and like in our popular culture, there's guys like Rob Bell yeah. um, and, and my friend, Mike McCarg and, and other people um, that they're Christians. But then when you like try to get at the, like, do you believe in the bodily resurrection? Do you, like, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe that there's heaven after we die? They're like, ah, you know, it's all about mystery. You can never like, get a literal claim. No. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing is like, I know what they're doing and there's, there's something good about it because they're making Christianity safe for a bunch of people that are stuck there. But there's also something not so good about it in the sense of when there are people for whom all that stuff is triggering, and all that stuff is, is, is associated with pain and oppression and, and difficulty. Or there are people that are like, when you say the word God, they don't know you mean universe. They think you mean actual person who does stuff and gave my wife cancer and didn't heal her of it. Like sometimes I think like, if you don't believe in any of that stuff anymore, it might just be better to say, I'm secular. Can you say something about that letter you got after after we and I first met and I wrote that piece about you, you got a letter from someone. Do you remember what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, I think I do. Yeah. And and maybe we can go down this road and then if you feel like yeah, it's blowing, blowing his cover, we could- No, not. no, it won't blow his but cover. I mean, I get these letters all the time. If I'm not mistaken, he said, you know, you'd made him, you'd given a, a real, back when you were more Christian, you'd in, early in your career, you'd given some talk at a college yeah. and, and made him feel, he, and your preaching with all the love you had made him feel terrible about the fact that he masturbated, about the fact, was it that he was gay? Was well, it, here's the thing, like, yeah, in our, in our cult, in, 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 that, in that world, like I was a virgin when I got married and felt guilty about masturbating, um, you know, when I was 16 years old. Like, and, and I mean, I could tell you horror stories about like cutting my wrist because, you know, on the back of my wrist, every time I would fail, because there's a Bible verse that says that it would be better if you, it would be better for you to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye than to let them cause you to sin. And so I was trying to discipline myself into, into not. That is like some sin. heavy shit. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> to use theological language. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and can you, I mean, I'm a 15 year old kid. I'm on the varsity soccer team. Like, and I. 
and I had to shut that stuff down completely. And I know, and I know so many people that even after they got married, they're just racked with hangups, like sex is wrong or sex is, you know, sex is dirty or you shouldn't be thinking. See, it wasn't just that I wasn't allowed to do it. I wasn't supposed to be thinking about it. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in that world. And this is despite the fact that God sent his prophet, his only daughter, Dr. Ruth, to teach the gospel. <laughs> Just saying. So, so for me, I thought I would, Mark, I thought I was super liberal, like that letter guy. I thought I was super liberal because I, you know, I would talk to kids at youth rallies and say, hey, masturbation is not the unforgivable sin here. Like I said, but, you know, if you want to, if you want to be, if you want to, grow in your, in your, you know, in your sexuality. And, and if you want to like think the right thoughts, you have to be open with other people. You have to be accountable. So like I talked, I told, I used to tell the story about how my friends and I sort of confessed to each other. We were all struggling with pornography and masturbation. And then we would try to hold each other accountable. Now in my world back then, that was really open. Like I was saying the word masturbation at, you know, out loud. And I was admitting that this was a problem for us, but the underlying message I was sending was talk to your friends together like AA, you will be able to help each other overcome your lust and sin problem. Well, this kid heard me. And, uh, and he wrote to me 20 years later when he finds out that I'm the secular humanist chaplain at that time at USC out in California. And he said, yeah, real great for you that you've given up Jesus. He said, I spent 20 years totally fucked up hating myself because, you know, and, and he said, I still remember this, this sermon. And he said, it was all bullshit. And you, and you said it. And so like, now you're out, but what about all the people you hurt? What about all the people who you taught stuff? And I had to write back and say, I'm so sorry. The thing is like, I really believed it. Like I thought I was doing the right thing. But it's, it's incredibly painful when you're post-Christian to realize, like, I taught people all sorts of things that, that probably have oppressed and, and, and wrecked them over time. And, you know, I feel terrible. And I did it all with a good heart. You know, I, I did it all, right. like, wanting to love them. So, it's very, so, so, so when you're married to somebody and they're still in that world and you're not in that world, because that world makes total sense from the inside. But when you step out of it, it looks crazy. I mean, that's Sam Harris once said, to, you know, when he was writing his letter to a Christian nation, he's like, what the Christians need to understand is when they look at Islam and go like, that makes, come on, you really think Muhammad flew on a flying horse? From, like when you see the craziness of other people's narratives, he's like, that's how I see yours. That's how yours looks like from the outside. Everybody's narrative makes sense from the inside, but from the outside, they all look insane. And, and so when you're married to somebody and they're, the narrative's that way, it's really hard on the secular person kind of dealing with the narrative of their believing spouse, but it's also really hard for the believing spouse because the secular person now represents an existential threat. And so was the, was the process of becoming, as you put it, post-Christian, was that also a process or was it literally just waking up one morning being like, I'm done? No, like I said, like it was a 30 year process. No, but I know, but, but, the, but the moment you had the realization, were there still some hangups, some things you still I didn't did? Ha the, the moment I had you? the realization ultimately wasn't a moment. This is like in Spies Like Us where the guy dies, like, but the very end, but the very, or was yeah, it Fletch? Yeah, right, What's yeah. the He's like, yeah. but the very, very end was yeah. sudden. <laughs> he went suddenly. Well, the very, very, he was dying yeah. for years, but the very, very end. That moment, yeah. The very, very end was yeah. sudden. I mean, the truth of the matter is that the very end wasn't deciding I didn't believe in God. The very end was realizing that 
I didn't want to spend the rest of my life pretending that I did. Right. You know, so like, like my, there was nothing left for a long time, but I didn't do the math to connect that with the rest of my life and the stuff I was doing. Like, and so the bike crash was this thing where I was like, oh, you're going to die really soon. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And, and what should you do with the rest of your life? And I became, you know, I became really convinced that what I needed to do was to try to create communities and, and opportunities for people to have all those wonderful things that they get out of being Jewish or they get out of being evangelical Christian, to feel like you're part of a tribe, a, a bunch of people that are committed to making the world a better place together, that you have some rituals, that you get together, that you help each other raise each other's kids, all those things like, like people who leave religious communities oftentimes find themselves alone in a very, very kind of cold world. And they can't find the other people that want to pursue goodness in a secular way. So you don't feel any resentment towards people who still are believers. You don't feel any. I didn't kind get of- hurt, man. I didn't get hurt. Like the church was good to me. Like all the Christians I hung out with were wonderful. We were feeding poor children in Camden, New Jersey. Like, like I was with the best possible Christians. Even my parents um, went like, like when I told them I didn't believe in God, I knew they were going to be hurt and disappointed. It never occurred to me that they would reject me. Like that wouldn't that like or that they would they would go oh Bart's gonna burn in hell forever now I mean by the time I get le- left Christianity my parents had shifted their theology to like the kind of God they believe in doesn't send people to hell for having the wrong theology and so no like I, now I got friends I got gay friends I got friends who I got women friends who were oppressed who were given bizarre crazy messages that wrecked their life and that haunt them to this day they're angry they're pissed. With their, with their traditions. Yeah, they're here. angry with their positions. They're angry with the people that taught it to them. They're angry with their parents. And they're like the theology itself, the core narrative of Christianity, they want to destroy it. Whereas like for me, I, I don't have that kind of visceral anger towards it. But the other thing is, even if I thought that the Christian narrative was really toxic, which in many ways I think it is, you the the way to the way to you, you, to attack it directly just is going to cause everybody to double down on it. When you attack somebody's belief system directly, it's 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 it's, it's not just not unkind; it's bad strategy. So let me ask you a crazy question: What is your theology like right now? And I use this word judiciously. You know, what do you believe about the source of good in the world? What do you believe about sin? Where are you now? I know it's sin. a really weird. No, no, it's very simple. Like what you're kind of asking is like, what's your big narrative? Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Like, you know, all, all yeah, religions- what's, all, what's your big narrative? Yeah, all religions have two two parts, right? They've got the big narrative. This is how the, the universe works. And they've got their like little narrative that says, and because the universe is this way, you should act this way and don't eat don't that. Don't eat pork. Exactly, yeah. right. Um, yeah, you should know and that better than anyone. Here's the matzah. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion, Mormon underwear. Yeah. And so for me, what what my sense is, is that at some, you know, like science takes me back almost like almost to the beginning, you know, like to, to, to like one millisecond after the Big Bang. I got no idea what happened before that. I got no idea. But th- there's a story of like the, un- the matter and energy sort of coming into existence and then planets forming and, you know, all gravity and all these things emerging. And ultimately at some point, a single celled organism emerges. And I don't know how. I can't tell that part of the story. But again, once you get to that part of the story, then there's this epic of evolution. 
And it's this amazing story of life becoming more complicated and complex until you get to consciousness and then you get to human beings. And at some point when you have sentient human beings or sentient animals and they're relating to each other, at some point somebody's evolutionary strategy becomes cooperating, becomes connecting, becomes living collectively, like in a tribe, like a wolf pack or something. And wherever you have animals living socially, a code emerges a sense of what's right and wrong. And it's not what's good for you or what's good for me. It's what's good for the group. And out of that basic code emerges morals. And they, they're different in different places depending on the circumstances, but a lot of things they have in common. And what they all have in common is they're all aimed at propagating life, moving life forward. It also changes, isn't it? I mean, isn't there also an evolutionary component of it in which, you know, uh, strongest uh, members of the species survive? Uh, the different conditions and climates change. The best so. adapted survive. And, and what, what, you know, if you, if you study natural selection, what naturally selects depends on the circumstances. And I think one of the really interesting things is like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. On some level, those are really good adaptive strategies. Like, like the animals that cooperate best, that forgive the best, that love their children the best, they do really well. And so on some level, I'm a believer that life is amazingly wonderful. And I feel really grateful to be a sentient human being. And so for me, like you said, like, what do you believe about, like, what are you committed to? I'm committed to life and not just my life. Like, I love the whole thing. And what's right is the stuff that enables people to live and to flourish. And what's wrong is the stuff that keeps them from doing so. So you've you've called yourself a post-Christian. You work as a humanist chaplain. Like, what does that mean? By the way, I'm hating this interview so far <laughs> just because you guys were so clever and pithy and cool with each other. And then, like, I get on and I give long conversations where I no, sound like, like I sound like a heavy, like it, like right. a heavy but sermonizing. Like, no, 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 but like, Your mom is, gave you lunch. Our moms gave us books. So. I know. <laughs> no, it's bad. But, like, but, like, what what does that mean to someone who does has never heard humanists? Like, yeah, what are the holidays like? What are like? you now, basically? Tell us, like, put yourself in a different box yeah. for us to understand you. Okay, like, bottom line is, like, if you said to me, like, and, and what's the work you do? Yeah, and, 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 they, and they kind of fit together. Like the bottom line is this. Like I came to a, a basic conclusion, and that is that I'm a finite human being who's going to die, right? And, 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 and my conclusion is like, this life is this precious, brief moment. And my, so my initial question, as soon as I realize like this is it, it's like, how do I make the most of it? If you don't have to do much research to start to learn that like the way to make the most of it isn't to make the most money. It isn't to like become the most powerful. It isn't to like have sex with the most partners. Like people try those strategies, but like, like the data would suggest that the, the people that end up feeling the best about their lives, that end up dying with the greatest level of satisfaction, that live the longest and, and, and flourish the most are always those that have a handful of loving relationships. And that do work that they feel like makes things better for others. And cultivate a sense of gratitude for the privilege of being able to be a participant in the first place. And so if you say to me, what's a humanist? A humanist for me is somebody who goes like, I think the way to make the most of my life is to pursue loving relationships. And to, and to try to figure out how to do work that makes things better for other people. And to cultivate a sense of gratitude and wonder. And who's smart enough to realize like, you know what? I don't think I can do that very well by myself. Like, I believe in exercise too, but I don't do it unless I'm on a team or I'm part of a gym. Like, or you're like paid to sign up for a class. And yeah, like you're exa not get exactly, back. exactly. You, it's after 5 p.m. We do these things collectively. 
right? And so if I want to pursue goodness, the smartest thing I can do is to find a bunch of other people who want to pursue goodness and go like, let's pursue it together. And so for me, humanism is simply, it's like, you know, people say like, you know, I, I, what are, aren't you against religion? I'm like, no, I'm not against religion. I'm trying to invent one. A religion is when a group of people collectively get together to try to answer life's ultimate questions. And so what are holidays like? Humanist holidays. Well, what's interesting is you go, like, what are, what is a humanist holiday? That's a great question. And like, in the beginning, I couldn't think of any. And, and then, and you know, I was like, well, Darwin's birthday. Like Darwin, awesome. Darwin was somebody who <laughs> kind of that? started, it's- uh, It's you design in Tammuz, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's early in February. Um, and, 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 and- And we need a, we need a holiday around then anyway. It's bleak. It's bleak. <laughs> and so we do, we celebrate, like I, I my, my students and I, we celebrate that because that was the beginning of a way of knowing, a way of thinking about life that really transformed a lot of people. So that's a good one. Sometimes people will celebrate the winter solstice. And they'll go like, on the darkest day of the year, we celebrate that we found fire and that we figured out how to light up the world and that we figured out how to be warm and together when we're cold. Like, it's like, like. But solstice people are like two clicks from anti-vaxxers. So I don't go there. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's be honest about solstice people. But they're, you, like, they're like two clicks no, today, from like naturopathy. You guys, the, today is the spring equinox or yesterday. Right. So, and so I don't, I, like, I'm here. not a new agey guy like that. That's and, why we have you, so you go, like, this week. But you go like, Christmas? You go like. Chris, you know, when I was a Christian, we were always complaining, like, they've taken the Christ out of Christmas, you know, and stuff. It, all it is now, it's just a, it's just a family holiday. It's just when people get together with the families. I'm like, good enough for me. <laughs> like, Thanksgiving. And maybe on Christmas, they celebrate the birth of a great teacher who yes. lived and died. Like, Thanksgiving is my the Sermon on the Mount. favorite holiday of them all. Yeah. What, like, like the idea of a, a, a holiday dedicated it's a great to holiday. Thanksgiving. being grateful for what we have. Except for all like the bad stuff at the beginning of Thanksgiving. Well, we can take it back, right? We as like <laughs> wait a second, we all celebrate Thanksgiving. No, here. I Who know, but I, isn't isn't Thanksgiving a little problematic because of like the well, it, it is if you're wearing pilgrim hats and stuff like that. But like if you're, if you're, doing you're just things. like, hey, this is the day when everybody flies home from college to to be together, <laughs> to hook up That's with a their high school significant because <laughs> when you said the problem things at the beginning, I thought the Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> the, the floats are just offensive. So you work at a college, Wait, and so does sorry. that make? I, no, no, I it makes know, total sense. I want to know if I answered your question. Like humanism is simply like secular. Like I used to call myself a secular humanist, but like secular doesn't tell you anything except that I don't believe in any kind of supernatural woo woo. The humanist part says, I'm committed to values. I'm committed to this species. I'm committed to the human experience. And the human experience is living and dying and loving and having sex and all of these things. And like, I want to live my life in such a way as to make the most of those experiences, but also to make it possible for other people to experience those things. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's fascinating. And so on, on college campuses, like, like you're at the University of Cincinnati now. Are there college students who identify as humanists now? Or do they sort of, how, do, how so, I can't how imagine being so fully formed as an 18 year old, basically. That's, yeah, that's a good question. Right. Or like, are their parents humanists? I mean, like, how does it, who are the people that you are serving most of on them, campuses? Most of them don't know they're a humanist unless I tell them that. Uh-huh. What, I, what I do is I put it, we put out, like, this would be a typical thing. Like, we put out a, a table that says USC or UC Secular Student Fellowship. And kids walk up and they go like, What's that? And you go like, well, you know, youth group is where people pursue goodness on the basis of the Bible or, 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 or a Hillel is where people are pursuing goodness on the basis, basis of Jewish identity. Uh, this is for people that are pursuing goodness on the basis of common sense, uh, science and reason, like just without God, without any supernaturalism. And the kid goes, wait, 
so this is for people who want to be good people, but don't believe in God. I'm like, yeah. They're like, that's me. And they sign up. And, 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 and so the idea is, is then you create a group. And, and Mark, you're saying like Protestants do youth group really well. I was a Protestant youth pastor. So I run the secular student fellowship like a really good Protestant youth group. Like you say, do you guys play games and eat potluck meals? And do you have like, like questions on the table to spark conversation? And do you give a little 10 minute sermon? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a youth group for people who want to pursue goodness without God. This reminds me of one of my favorite Jewish jokes. This is, uh, Jewish man wakes up on a Saturday morning, says to his wife, I, I don't want to go to synagogue today. And the wife says, how come? And he says, well, you know, I hate the sermons. I hate the congregation. I, I don't really believe in God. And the wife says, well, I'm sorry, dear. You have to go because, A, that's what we do in this household, and B, you're the rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Well, that actually gets to the question. I know you also have a counseling practice. Yeah. And my recollection is, when we talked about this before, that a lot of the people who reached out to you were people who were trying to transition out. Some, I mean, a lot of people, the people who I think – tell me if I'm wrong, who turn to you more for coaching and counseling aren't people who are just looking for goodness, but often people who are in flight from, they've been the rabbi, the minister, and they're trying to figure out, how do I do what you did? How do I leave? Is that, is that right? Yeah. I and mean, it's funny. What, what started out was, I st- like I started out with a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called Humanize Me. And I simply talk, I have guests, we talk about, I, you know, I have people from all different walks of life and we talk about what they're learning and my question is always, how can we apply that to building better relationships, making the world better for other people and cultivating a sense of wonder? So whether it's a biologist or a, an animal rights activist or a, uh, you know, a, a, a carpenter, we're going to talk about like, what are they learning in their work and how do we apply that to becoming more human? Well, what happened, Mark, was like, I, I, I'm asking you because you asked the question, but like what happened was people started sending emails saying, could I talk to you? And the thing they most wanted to talk about was I've transitioned away. I've lost my faith in God and I'm full of despair and I can't find any meaning. And I, and, and every, like, I, I thought I was going to go to heaven. And now if we're all just going to die in the end, what's the point of any of it? And so I ended up in the Skyping with these people one-on-one talking about life and having them read things and then talking about them and asking questions. And then an increasing number of people started coming saying, I'm where you're at, but my wife or my husband is, is the other place. How do we work that through? And so you ended up doing a lot of relational counseling. Yeah. So it sounds like you actually do a lot of the same stuff that you used to do, just at like a sort of tilted angle. So if you were back in Camden, New Jersey now, what would the difference be in, like, what would the day-to-day difference on the ground look like? You know, my, mes- it's my message, you, like I used to see a kid stealing drugs on the corner. And I would, basically my message to that kid would be like, hey, I got a better life for you than this. Like, come over here where my friends are. Like, we'll love you and we'll find something better for you to do. And in this context, you'll experience more joy, more happiness, more security than you've ever experienced out there on the street. Like, this is a better life. And the kid would come into the community like, this is amazing. I love these people. Everybody's so nice and we're doing all this stuff. And then you go like, what do I have to believe to get in? And the answer was quite a bit. <laughs> the, different, the only difference now is I still see the kid on the corner. And I still want to say to him, like, dude, come join my community. Like, like we're loving each other. We're pursuing good. It's like, this is a better life. 
And then when he comes in or she comes in and they love the community and they go like, what do I have to believe to get in? You go like, baby, nothing you don't have evidence for. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it's not about what you believe here. It's about what you value. Bart Campolo, if people want more of you, either to hear you, see you, read you, Can't talk to you. Can't imagine why they would after, how could after they this find earnest you? conversation. If you've got more left in why reserves and they want access. Funny. Uh, I can't be clever. You're very funny, no, because you still have, like, you still have all of the the magnetism of like a, a preacher, so to speak, right? Yeah, I mean, you just are talking about different things, so yeah. you're still doing it. You're still, you know. And he would totally be played by Sam Rockwell in the uh, movie Ooh. version. Yeah, <laughs> it would be Sam Rockwell. Oh, I think absolutely. That's right. So how can people get more of it? Well, I mean, we mentioned I mentioned that documentary. Yep. And you can find that. What's it called again? It's called Leaving My Father's Faith. And okay. you could find it at Campola Film. You could find it at bartcampola.org, which is okay. my website. I mentioned that podcast, Humanize Me. Yep. You could find that anywhere you find podcasts, but you could also find it at bartcampola.org. Um, let's see, is there anything if else? If people want to talk to you, do you still do the coaching work? I do, work? I do. I do a lot of it. And I, and I again, go to bartcampola.org All right. and, and, and write to me. Bart, thank you so much. This was like emotionally spirit. Right. I mean, it was mind expanding. It's yeah, like therapy. It's yeah. mind expanding. We, how much do we owe you? <laughs> right. I mean, you came in and told a bunch of Jews that there are people who want community but don't believe in God. We've, we've, so we've heard. <laughs> if only there were 200 more Jews sitting here listening to you talk right now. So we've heard. Uh, will you come back sometime, Bart? Oh, yeah, and, gosh, yeah. And, and, and thank no, you. no, I actually, it's funny, like, in, in all seriousness, like, and you can cut this out of the podcast, but like, I'm like, I have a feeling we're not going to. I would just like to start all, like, I, I feel like I just, I, I fell into like the worst evangelical Christian bad habit of talking too much. Like, no, no, no. Like it's nah. one of those things where I'm like, I just would love, I <laughs> wish I could start over. You. We know, we we know what we sound like. We invited you here to I know. interrupt you repeatedly. I, I, I just really, <laughs> thanks, th- I mean, yeah. You know that there's been studies about, I think it's non, it's it's overlapping, the, I forget the linguistics term, that Jews interrupt more in conversation. Oh, absolutely. That absolutely, is yeah. That's absolutely. 100%. There's, there's ser- 100%. Maybe I really am Jewish because that's what people complain about me all the time. I'm actual, this is the last the last stage. No, no, no. There's serious. This is it. I'm on my way. Not believing in God, wanting community, wanting to interrupt people. Hello. Eagles. Went to Quaker College, went to Haverford. Just boom. You're already on the Upper West Side, so we're you're basically there. Satyrs in a week and a half. I'm ready. You have enough time. Here's a going to get my young. Hey, have you noticed that every single podcast in the world, it seems, no matter how different they are, one thing they have in common is they ask you to rate them on iTunes. That's because a good iTunes rating bumps us up in visibility for other people. So it allows other people to discover this podcast. So here's, for example, a really good iTunes rating that we just got. It reads... I couldn't love this podcast more. I grew up being part of a modern Orthodox community, but I'm now a proud atheist Jew. I listen to this podcast religiously. Well, as religiously as any atheist can get. My coworkers have gotten used to me laughing out loud while listening. I highly recommend it along with the Facebook page, which makes you feel like part of a big family. Twin2855. Well, Twin2855, listen, send us an email at unorthodoxatabletmag.com. Give us your address and we will send you a free laptop sticker. For the rest of you, go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and say nice things like that and we will be super duper excited. If you want more Unorthodox, sign up for the newsletter by writing to unorthodoxatabletmag.com. Join the Facebook group, which is just always having these insanely funny conversations. Come see us live. We're doing a JCC show in July and I will be at Greenwich Reform Synagogue again 
on May 18th. That is a super spiritual intellectual, loving, kind, supportive community for all your reformed Jewish needs in Fairfield County. GRS is where you want to be. And if you want to wear unorthodox on your body, on your person, go to bit.ly slash unortho shirt and find the latest in unorthodox shirts, mugs, and stickers to put on yourself and surround your coffee with. And if you want even more of us, perhaps for the Passover season, we are doing our own Haggadah. Uh, Liel and Stephanie and I have put together this amazing Haggadah. It's free to download. It's a free downloadable PDF that you can download and then print out copies for all of your guests, all your company. So if you are one of those many, many Jews, and I think it's most of us, who feel like you've never found the perfect Haggadah, but you love the Unorthodox podcast, then maybe this is your Haggadah. So go to tabletmag.com slash unorthodox Haggadah tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, tabletmag.com slash unorthodox Haggadah to download the first ever brand new unorthodox Haggadah. Okay, one letter this week. Here it is. Dear Unorthodox, with all due respect to Rabbanit Sarna, which is really a tremendous amount of respect, the reason she gave for not watching Game of Thrones is wrong. If you shouldn't watch Game of Thrones, which you shouldn't, it should be because of the lazy writing. If we started insulating ourselves from nudity, violence, and bad values as if we were children, the Tanakh, Hebrew Bible, would be the first thing to go. Love and Latkes, Gavriel Savit Woods. Gavriel Savit Woods is like our our public editor, like our peanut gallery. Yeah. He always gets his the best. Yeah. He keeps us honest. Uh, Liel, have you ever seen an episode of this show you refuse to watch? I've seen the entire first season. And, oh. and, and I disagree. And I, I wrote uh, to Gabriel to, to, to say so. We had a very interesting discussion. Because this is what happens when you write to an Orthodox. You get emails <laughs> frequently from two or three of us. So why Tanakh? Okay. Um, why Jewish Bible? Okay. But not Game of it Thrones. It has to do with the Kavanah. It has to do with the intention. You know, it, the, the point isn't, you know, never tell stories that have sex and violence. The point is, if you're telling, it's like pornography, right? If you're telling a story with sex and violence, just to titillate, hey, look, here's a naked prostitute and some violence. That's just kind of gross and icky. If you're telling a story that has these elements in order to transport, transform, transcend, that's beautiful and human. It's like the Bible. I, I'll know it when I see it. I am. Um, exactly right. I'm in season five of Game of Thrones uh, in my binge watching over the last month. I will be back to you all with an opinion on this once I've gorged on the whole Guys, thing. I oh, you need zero, the whole I have Dude. zero desire to watch Game of Thrones. And I also miss like I miss seminal classes. I miss I missed all of Mad Men, Breaking Bad, just like just didn't watch. You them. were reading books and no, writing I was watching like and, Gilmore Girls. Oh, okay. Uh, if you want to send a letter, Holds up, by the way, if you want to send a letter, write to unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. Mazel tovs. Leo, do you have a mazel tov this week? I sure do. What do, um, what do like small town actors and actresses do when they get like really famous? Like what's the first thing that you do? Change their names. Ditch your name. everyone. Ditch your whole crowd. Get your, nose your done. whole crowd, right? Yeah. Pretend like you're better because you're Hollywood. What does Gal Gadot do when she makes it big? Homegirl insisted on her $10 million Reebok advertising campaign that the photographer that shoot the campaign would be Duty, the unimprovably named <laughs> Duty Hassan, the same photographer in Tel Aviv who discovered her 11 years ago before she was at all famous. And this how you keep it real and loyal and wonderful. That's so amazing. So Gal Gadot, we love you. And Dudu. Congratulations. And Dudu. We love you It's Dudu. It's Dudu. Well, Dudu is his nickname. Dudu is his given name. <laughs> Stephanie. Dudu is his formal name. That's right. I like want to throw a hometown shout out to the, the entire Cross family who have really welcomed us in here and, and to you and to all the kids who are here. We got Ellie. We got 
Lily. We got Hudson. I'm basically only here to hang out with the, the kids. And Stella Violet and Miles. Stella Violet Miles. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's everyone's here until Lisa, who's here, and Debbie, who's not here, luckily, because yeah. <laughs> we have overrun her house. The Cross family is the second best studio on the island of Manhattan after Argo Studios. Bart Campolo, do you do you have a Mazel Tov this week? I do. I do. I, I have two, actually. I have a Mazel Tov to Ra- Rabbi, Ra- Rabbi Robert Barr, who is the person who introduced me to Mark in the first place. And he's a, he's a rabbi in Cincinnati. And he's just a lovely man. And so I just want him to is get it, my model. Is he top. running for Congress still? He's, he's not. He dropped out of the race. He got politically outmaneuvered by somebody else who had like a he did this really cool thing. He raised all this money. He was really going somewhere. And then the Democratic Party kind of stuck it to him. Uh, as, as happens. I know. That's okay. And a second one? Oh, and the second one is, is to my sister um, and my brother-in-law, my sister, Lisa, who married Mark Goodhart, a wonderful Jew. And, um, and so I, I love my sister so very much and her husband. And they're up there in Boston being Jewish. Goodhart is, is the best last That's name. Good is it? The point, this is the point to note that you are Bart and your sister is Lisa. Yes, Bart and Lisa. Yes. yes. Um, I'm going to hand off my Mazel Tov to listener Scott Altfeld, who wrote who wrote in and said, shout out to NYC JCC for letting many dozens of migrant farm workers and their allies shower. While hundreds of us protested Wendy's board chairman, Nelson Peltz, parenthesis, international scumbag, soon to be valued partner when we win. Scott didn't add that the reason they're protesting Nelson Peltz is because he has refused as chairman of the board of Wendy's to sign Wendy's up for the fair food program, which protects migrant and other farm workers working conditions. Anyway, big ups to the people who let them all shower while they were here protesting international scumbag Nelson Peltz. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. For merchandise, go to bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sputnik. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Joshua Cross and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our Haggadah this year is edited by Liel Leibowitz with a little help from some other people, but look out for it and write to us. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Major Reuben Livingstone of Her Majesty's Armed Forces. We recorded Argo Studios, but today at the Cross Family Home in Harlem, we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. Thanks for listening. Wait, wait, wait. When I point at you so we all start together. You ready? Everybody ready? Ready? See that finger? Uh Uh-huh. Thanks for listening to the Unorthodox Network.